Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at c-u-e-a-n-d-r-e-v-i-e-w.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Time Sport, April 5. Broken Glass Idiot caused Joe Hart more problems than the Rangers team. Report by Aidan Smith. Charlie Nicholas insists the Scottish Premiership is now gone for Rangers, as he claims Celtic did not have to be their best on Sunday to take all three points at Ibrox. Goals from Tom Rogic and Cameron Carter Vickers turned the game on its head after Aaron Ramsey had opened the scoring for the home side after just two minutes. After that, Rangers never really looked threatening, and Nicholas says his former team were by far the deserved winners. He wrote in the Daily Express, The Premiership title has gone for Rangers. It is that simple. It is effectively seven points when you look at Celtic's goal difference. Celtic are not going to drop points in three of their remaining league games. In my opinion, the better team won on Sunday at Ibrox. Celtic did not have to be at their best. Ange Postecoglou doesn't sit back because his instinct is always to attack. And because of that, even when they go behind, they still remain dangerous. What has impressed me most of all about Ange's team is that defensively they are getting better and better. Yes, we know the central defenders have mistakes in them and the full backs can be exposed. But Joe Hart hardly had a save to make. He had more to do from the idiot that threw the broken glass onto the park than he did from the Rangers team. Celtic's weakness is when they don't have the ball, but now they have improved defensively and they are a lot stronger. That is why Christopher Julian cannot get back in. The other issue I took from the game was that Rangers could not pass the ball. They were awful when in possession. The only passing move of significance from Rangers came from their early goal and showed why Aaron Ramsey had to be in the team. That just allowed Celtic to grow in stature and yet again mistakes were made by Alan McGregor. He has had one or two great saves, and particularly from Lil Abada, who should have scored. The Tom Rudgett goal, however, McGregor has spilled it. That was a big moment because Celtic equalised and got off the ropes. Rangers also did not have the physicality to upset Celtic that Alfredo Morelos brings, because Kamar Roof was a non-event in that department. The second goal, Leon Balogan did not react well, but the ball had snow on it. 
the goalkeeper must come and punch it because it dropped in his six-yard box. Look at the Rangers team. There was nobody outstanding. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Time Sport April 5 Former Rangers boss labelled a professional liar. Report by Mark Walker Former Rangers boss Pedro Caxina has been branded a professional liar after his first game in charge of his new club in Argentina. Caxina became the first ever Portuguese boss to manage in Argentina after he was fired from his second stint at Santos Laguna and was surprisingly appointed manager of Atletico Taleres. He caused a stir by bizarrely wearing Taleres' strip at his media unveiling and insisted he would keep it on for the rest of the campaign. He said, The reason I am wearing the shirt of the club is that I now consider myself just one more fan. I will wear it until the end of the season. However, he got off to a disappointing start when his side crashed to a 2-1 defeat to Gymnasia in his first game at the weekend. And Argentina's top football pundit, Pablo Carroza, has launched an astonishing attack on the flop ex-Ibrox boss. He said, Pedro Caxina is a professional liar. Everything is smoke and mirrors with him. He turns up with his strip on and says he won't take it off. He thinks he is still in Mexico. This is Argentina. He's totally useless, but someone manages to convince others that he can do the job. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Caxina had a disastrous seven-month spell in charge at Ibrox in 2017 before he was axed and then returned to Mexico to manage Cruz Azul, then Saudi Arabia at Al-Shabaab, before returning to his first club in Mexico, Santos Laguna. He was sacked from all of them. Report by Mark Walker Evening Time Sport April 5 Nick Rogers says Tiger Woods will not be at Augusta just to make up the numbers. Well, are you getting excited yet? By all frenzied accounts, the world of golf will have to be strapped to a hospital gurney in a fraught effort to restrain the hysterical thrashings and panting convulsions whipped up by the prospect of Tiger Woods playing in this week's Masters. Yes, Augusta National is calling again and, my goodness, what a giddy fankle we've worked ourselves into. I say we, but maybe you. Yes, you sitting there quite calmly with your cup of tea and saucer of custard creams could not give two hoots about all this hoopla and hyperbole. Readers of The Herald have always been a canny, unruffled, measured lot after all. Well, until they start poring over this ruddy page. The latest Tiger episode 
may be the most extraordinary. If he appears on the first tee on Thursday, the golfing gods will presumably link hands, the stars will align, the lightning will crackle, and everybody will drop to their knees and crawl around on all fours in a rapturous pandemonium of unbridled worship. I may be slightly exaggerating here, but you get the general idea. Just 14 months on from that devastating, life-threatening car crash, which almost cost him his right leg, Woods is poised for his greatest comeback on the course where, 25 years ago, he won his first Masters title by 12 shots. You've got to admire his flair for the dramatic, haven't you? The other week, social media got itself in a right old pickle when Woods' name remained on the tournament's entry list. He couldn't, could he? A few days later, the internet went utterly delirious when a flight tracker followed the path of his private jet from Florida to Augusta and news emerged that he was playing a practice round. Not since the Wright brothers first took flight has a plane attracted such point and gop intrigue. That inter thingamama job, meanwhile, has just about been welded back together after blowing a gasket amid the mouth-throffing mania. And now, here we all are, still on tenterhooks as the clock tick-tocks down with the heightened theatrics of the counter on a bomb in a Bond film. Woods returned to Augusta National on Sunday and has embarked on a prolonged fitness test of a rebuilt leg over the steep, undulating and unforgiving terrain of this cherished golfing cathedral. You could say it's a stress rehearsal. Woods is also doing a press conference today, which will no doubt prompt the kind of thunderous stampede you'd get with a herd of migrating gnus on the Maasai Mara. The rest of the Masters field, meanwhile, will be shunted so far into the sidelines they'll have to show the relevant lanyards to get back in. Somebody like Rory McIlroy, who will once again be going for the career Grand Slam in a quest for a milestone that has become more of a hefty millstone with each passing year, will be delighted to float along under the radar. In a sense, it is a trifle depressing that the remorseless fixation with Woods rose on at a time when the global men's game has a vibrant mix of abundant young talent in its upper echelons. When it comes to generating hype, hope and hysteria though, nobody does it quite like this 46-year-old who has not played a full-blown competitive event since the rescheduled Masters in November 2020. Tiger can't let go of golf, and golf can't let go of him either. According to those in the ground, it's so far so good for Woods. He seems to be moving and swinging well, and barring some major setback, he'll be striding to the tee on Thursday. Brace yourselves then for blanket coverage of every blow, relentless torrents of analysis, 
and a tsunami of gushing genuflection. Nowhere on planet golf does syrupy smalks and saccharine sentimentality quite like Augusta, but all that dewy-eyed mawkish cooing will surely reach new heights this week with the kind of sugary rhythms that should come with a warning from the Food Standards Agency about the excessive consumption of sweet things. Woods has never missed the cut at Augusta in 21 appearances as a professional. In addition to his five wins, the most recent coming in 2019, when we all thought that would be the pinnacle of his powers of recovery, Woods has seven other top five finishes and a raft of top tens. Augusta is one of his great hunting grounds. There is no way that Woods will want to be a ceremonial entrant, playing simply on the basis of being a past champion. He'll want to compete. With a leg bolted together with various rods and pins, a back that's had so many surgeries it's just about propped up with a buttress and a complete lack of competitive action. The idea of Woods actually competing at the sharp end would appear preposterous. Then again, he likes to prove people wrong, observed McElroy last week. Those of us who thought he was done and dusted, down and out and dead and buried before his 2019 Masters win will reserve judgment. Given what state he was in last February, with his legs mangled and a gruelling rehabilitation ahead of him, merely playing in the Masters will be a momentous triumph in itself. We await this latest twist in the Tiger tale, says Nick Roger. Evening Time Sport, April 5. SPFL Chief Doncaster calls for tougher action on Rangers bottle throwers. Report by Aidan Smith. SPFL Chief Executive Neil Doncaster has called for stricter action on supporters after Sunday's glass bottle throwing incidents during the Celtic and Rangers clash. The start of the second half was delayed when Celtic goalkeeper Joe Hart pointed out shards of broken glass in his goal mouth after a bottle was thrown onto the pitch, while other objects rained down when visiting player Jota was taking a corner kick. A member of Celtic's backroom staff later required stitches after being struck in the head while making his way towards the tunnel as the visitors won the match 2-1 to move six points clear of Rangers at the top of the Singe Premiership with six games to play. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon labelled the actions of those responsible as unacceptable and now Doncaster has also made comment. He told the Times, strict liability simply does not work as the repeated fines for specific clubs in UEFA competitions season after season demonstrate very clearly. The answer must be far harsher and targeted punishments for the individuals who perpetrate the crime, including a more regular use of football banning orders and where necessary 
custodial sentences. There are two main forms of strict liability which have been proposed, and neither of them will work. The first is to punish the home club for any transgressions in their ground, whether it's by the away fans or home fans. Unfortunately, this will act as an incentive for some away fans to misbehave, knowing the home clubs will suffer the punishment for their actions. It will inevitably result in clubs refusing to sell tickets to away fans, with the obvious detrimental impact on our game. The second is to make clubs strictly liable for the behaviour of their fans at away matches, and this will simply lead to clubs refusing to sell their fans tickets for other grounds, for fear of being punished if they misbehave. The significant investment by clubs in CCTV technology means it is far easier to spot and act on incidents caused by the tiny majority of fans who misbehave. Clubs, footballing authorities and the overwhelming majority of decent fans abhor the actions of those who engage in criminal acts at games. It is only by targeting these individuals directly and punishing them to the full extent of the law that we will provide a meaningful and effective deterrent. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Time Sport, April 6 Cameron Carter Vickers urged to make Celtic transfer move Report by David Irvin Cameron Carter Vickers has been urged to ignore transfer speculation from Premier League clubs and make a permanent move to Celtic. The USA defender is on a season-long loan from Tottenham, but it is understood that Spurs would be willing to negotiate over a permanent deal. Carter Vickers has been a key player for Celtic under Ange Postecoglou, which has sparked reported interest from some Premier League sides. Leicester, Burnley and Wolves have all been credited with interest in the 24-year-old centre-back, but Carter Vickers has been warned over passing up a chance to seal a full contract at Parkhead. Speaking on PLZ Soccer's football show, Richard Foster questioned why Carter Vickers would move to one of the clubs linked instead of Celtic. He said, I don't get it. Those teams, Leicester, Burnley and Wolves, I personally don't get why he'd leave Celtic to go and play at those clubs. Stay at Celtic, win championships, play in the Champions League. I just think go and play in the Champions League and do well and you'll get a better move than a Wolves or a Burnley. And Tam McManus agreed with Foster's assessment, but conceded he'd understand a move to Leicester, especially given the financial boost which would come from the move. He added, I agree, but Leicester, I'd maybe go to Leicester. I think he could get £80,000 a week at Leicester. How much would he get at Celtic? £30,000? Report by David Irvin Evening Time Sport April 6 
Graham McGarry explains why Celtic captain Callum McGregor has to be the Premiership Player of the Year. When Scott Brown made the decision to bring his Celtic career to an end last summer, the biggest question was not over how the club would fill his boots in the middle of the park, but over how they would fill the armband. With Brown's powers as a player fading during his final season at Celtic, it was the removal of his leadership that would leave the largest void in a squad that was set to undertake a massive overhaul. Ange Postecoglou took his time to confirm the official appointment of Callum McGregor as the man to take on that task of replacing Brown and the similarly formidable undertaking of helping mould an almost entirely new group of players into a cohesive unit. To help unify them around the common cause they had all been brought to Celtic for, to win back the league title. They now stand on the brink of doing just that, and the leadership of McGregor has been a hugely significant factor in bringing them to this point. On Sunday there was a moment that provided a perfect microcosm of why he has proven to be such an effective captain and a leader through example. With Celtic seemingly being blown off the Ibrox pitch in the early stages of the game by a rampant Rangers, McGregor took his teammates by the scruff of the neck and the match as well by extension. He took it upon himself to drive forward into the Rangers area eventually forcing the equaliser for his team and simultaneously knocking the wind out of their opponents and the stadium. Callum was just outstanding as a leader, said Celtic manager Ange Postecoglou in the aftermath of his side's eventual victory. His role in that first goal particularly was brilliant. It was an example of the sort of leadership McGregor has been providing for the Celtic team all season. Rushing himself back from a double fracture to his cheekbone to take on Rangers at Celtic Park just eight days after sustaining the injury at Aloha was another case in point. In difficult moments he has stepped up to the plate and when Ange Postecoglou's team has been firing it has been he who has invariably been at the centre of it all. The remarkable thing about the way McGregor has grown so effectively into the Celtic captaincy is how he hasn't allowed it to prove a distraction from his game. His level of play has remained at a consistently high level throughout the season, whether that has been in the deeper lying midfield role that is now his main area of operation, or in a more advanced position when the occasion has required. He has previously admitted that it has not been as seamless a transition for him as it has appeared on the field, either in terms of adjusting to his new role as captain, or in adapting to his new position within Postecoglou's team structure. McGregor said recently, 
It's a different role within the team and within the squad as well. So I've been getting used to that, how to deal with the players and things like that. But it's been brilliant. It's been something I've really enjoyed. I'm learning on the job all the time. The players have been first class, absolutely excellent in the way they've applied themselves all season. And then that makes my job easy as well. On my position, I've been playing a little bit deeper, getting a lot of the ball and starting a lot of the attacks as well, which is good. So it's something I've really enjoyed as well. And it's a big period coming up. So everyone just needs to stay on it 100%. And hopefully by the end of the season, we have achieved what we want to. That Celtic may be about to achieve more than anyone outside of the changing room felt possible in winning at least a double and perhaps even surpass their own expectations by making it a treble is down to more than just McGregor or even Postecoglou. But there is no doubt whatsoever that the new Celtic skipper has played a massive role in making what has seemed to be hugely fanciful goals just a few short months ago a potential reality. It would take a collapse of epic proportions over the final six games of the Premiership season for Celtic to cede their 6.16 goal advantage over Rangers at the top of the table. With McGregor's quietly effective leadership Married to his knowledge of what it takes to win at Celtic, what now seems highly unlikely is the possibility that they will falter at the final step. With the greatest of respect to Scott Brown and his achievements at the club, perhaps the biggest compliment that can be paid to McGregor is that Celtic have barely missed him in the first season since his departure. There are other players throughout the division who have been hugely impressive too, with Craig Gordon enjoying a vintage season at Hearts, for example. But for his exemplary play on the field, his influence on his teammates, and for his likely trophy haul at the end of his first campaign as Celtic captain, McGregor has to be Scotland's Player of the Year, says Graeme McGarry. Evening Time Sport, April 6. Van Bronckhorst provides Rangers injury update. Report by David Irvin. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has confirmed Alfredo Morales, Yanis Hagi and Alex Lowry will all miss the Europa League match against Braga. The Rangers boss will lead his side to Portugal without the trio with Haggy and Morelos long-term absentees and Lowry ruled unavailable. Rangers confirmed Morelos will be out for the rest of the season after undergoing surgery for an injury to his thigh. A club statement revealed he will return to training with the first team in pre-season. Haggy, who has been out for just weeks after Van Bronckhurst's arrival at Ibrox, will not play a part as he continues his recovery. A surprise player to miss out is Lowry, who played twice for the Scotland under-19 side in March and won't play tomorrow night. 
Van Bronckhorst confirmed, we don't have Haggy, Morales and Lowry, who is also unavailable. We have to create a game plan that will work, and that is our focus. Asked further about Morelos, Van Bronckhorst added, It is a big blow to Miss Alfredo. We know the problem and how long he is out. We now have to move on and focus on Thursday. Report by David Irvin. Evening Times Sport, April 6. Van Bronckhorst on the Morelos injury blow ahead of Braga clash. Report by Chris Jack Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is confident Rangers can keep their Europa League dreams on track without talisman Alfredo Morelos. The striker has been ruled out of action for the rest of the season after undergoing surgery on a thigh injury sustained whilst on international duty with Colombia last month. The loss of Morelos comes just days after the champions saw their title defence all but ended by an old firm defeat at Ibrox and is a huge blow for Van Bronckhorst heading into the remainder of a hectic fixture schedule in April. But the Ibrox boss insists Rangers can still thrive at home and abroad as they prepare to face Braga in the first leg of their Europa League quarter-final clash. Van Bronckhurst said, Of course it is a big blow to us, because he is our striker, and we now don't have him any more this season. So yes, we are disappointed. But we know what the problem is, how long he's out, and we have to move on. That's the only thing we have to do now. We prepare this game how we prepare for every game. We see the opponent and look at their strengths and weaknesses. We will see which players we can use. Obviously we don't have Morelos and we don't have Hagi. We don't have Lowry, who is also not available. We will pick a game plan and try to execute it as well as possible. Yes, I believe that we can cope without Morelos. We are disappointed by the loss of him. Out of the five questions I have been asked, four of them have been about Morelis, so that means he is a very important player for us. But the reality is that he's not here, and we have to prepare for this game without him. That's what we've done in the last few days, and that's what we're focusing on. We've discussed Morelis for a long time, I don't want to discuss more about him, although I am very disappointed with his loss. I want to focus on the Braga game. Report by Chris Jack Evening Time Sport, April 6 Rangers are Europa League contenders, insists Barcelona boss Zabi. Report by Ewan Payton Barcelona manager Zabi is adamant that Rangers are firmly in contention to lift this season's Europa League. The Spanish legend admits he's always been struck by the atmosphere inside Ibrox and Parkhead whenever he has faced either old firm club as a player. And the Barcelona boss reckons Giovanni van Bronckhorst's side 
have every chance of European glory this campaign. The Light Blues take on Braggart in the quarter-finals this week and next for a place in the last four. While many will see Barcelona as tournament favourites, including the bookies, Xavi has refused to accept that tag. He told the Daily Record, People will say Barcelona are favourites because of history and they are used to seeing us play in the Champions League. But this is not the Champions League. We are contenders, we have a big chance, but I will not sit here and say we are favourites. The quarter-finals are very strong and at this stage everybody involved will feel they have a chance to win. As somebody who has played in Glasgow, nobody is going to get an easy time against Rangers, but it is a competition we are taking seriously and want to win. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, April 7 Tom Rudgett's Celtic contract should no longer be the last thing on Ange Postecoglou's mind, says Graham McGarry. It may be a criticism frequently put forward about Tom Rodgic that you only get 60 odd minutes out of him, but when it is 60 odd minutes like he produced against Rangers on Sunday, you will not find many Celtic fans complaining. The midfielder has often seemed to save his best form for matches against Celtic City rivals, particularly at Ibrooks, where he has now scored three of his six goals against Rangers after his crucial equaliser at the weekend. Just one has come at Celtic Park, with two being scored at Hampden. His performance was all style and guile, craft and cunning, picking up pockets of space and sprinkling his patented magic over the match whenever he was in possession. Even those of a Rangers persuasion had to admit that their team simply could not handle the man the Celtic fans have dubbed the Wizard of Oz. Ibrook's legend Ali McCoy said, the one player that really made the difference was Tom Rodgic, particularly in the first 45 minutes. He was playing in pockets in front of the Rangers' back four. He was picking the ball up. I thought he was different class. Previously in his career, the Australian has at times been characterised as lazy, with his language style perhaps counting against him though this is an accusation that can hardly be levelled at him this season under Ange Postecoglou. Since his compatriot's arrival, Rodgic has been revitalised and he has won praise from his manager for his willingness to do the donkey work in defending from the front, a prerequisite of a place in a Postecoglou team, but hardly something he was renowned for prior to this season. Postecoglou said back in February, With Tom, it's not just his quality. He's working so hard for us in a defensive sense and pressing the opposition, instigating our defensive work. The quality he's got shines through after that.
It certainly shone through in abundance at Ibrox, with Rodjic providing the necessary calm amid the storm of the midfield in a frantic opening to the game. And he needed all of that famed composure when the chance to draw Celtic level fell his way following a whirlwind start from Rangers. It was his initial shot following Callum McGregor's powerful run that was blocked out to Rio Hatati. He had the sense to hang around the area in case any scraps fell his way, and as Alan McGregor spilled Hatati's effort, the ball indeed fell invitingly for Rodjic. It looked at first glance to be a simple finish, but with the ball bouncing up on the half volley, McGregor spreading himself in front of him, and the din of 50,000-odd baying Rangers supporters all around him, it was anything but. As with so much in Rodgers' game though, he made it look easy. On closer inspection, you can see that he even delays his finish for a fraction of a second to allow for Rangers keeper McGregor's dive to go past him before casually lifting the ball into the net. It seems remarkable that a little over a year ago, Rodjic seemed surplus to requirements at Celtic Park and was in fact on the brink of a move to Qatar, the footballing equivalent of being put out to pasture. Now Celtic fans may be eyeing the expiry of his contract next summer nervously and be eager for their club to open talks about keeping Rodjic around into the twilight of his career. Something that wasn't exactly high up on the list of priorities for Postecoglou when asked about the possibility of an extension for Rodjic recently. He said, it's the last thing on my mind, mate. We want people here who are happy to be here and want to be a part of it. Unless someone knocks on my door and says they want to go, I'll just let it roll. Postecoglou has also acknowledged though that Rodjic is a player he would like to keep around, insisting he has so much more still to offer for Celtic. In fact, he is of the opinion that his best years could still be ahead of him. He said, throughout his career, he's done some remarkable things. He's had a fantastic career here with Celtic. You don't stay at a football club like this unless you have something to offer. I still think there's more to come. He's only 29. In many respects, the best football years could be ahead of him. Hopefully that continues. He's now beyond the 50 cap mark with Australia, which isn't easy. To travel from this side of the world to play for Australia is a lot more challenging than maybe some other national teams. He's done remarkably well. He's become a senior member here at Celtic and with the national team. At both club and international level, he's got plenty to offer for both teams. Given his masterful display at Ibrox, there will be precious few among the Celtic support or elsewhere who would argue with that assessment. But there may be more than a few who would think the time has now come 
to tie down his long-term future, says Graham McGarry. Evening Time Sport, April 7. Josh Taylor opens up on farcical backlash, family abuse and death threats. Report by Susan Egglestaff. As Britain's first ever unified champion of the world, there's not too much in the boxing world Josh Taylor has not seen. However, he admits the weeks following his recent win over Jack Catterall have been a whole new experience for him. There has been much controversy around his split decision victory over the Englishman, which the vast majority of fellow boxers, pundits and fans made it known they disagreed vehemently with the judge's decision to award the win to the Scot, as well as the Speaker of the House of Commons sending a letter to the police regarding the contentious scoring of the bout. Taylor revealed the abuse not only he has experienced, but also members of his family have had directed at them, has been unlike anything he has ever known. From personal attacks to death threats, the backlash against the 31-year-old and the decision made by the judges has been astonishing. Taylor says, It's been farcical. Come on, it's a boxing match. Implying there's something criminal going on. That just looks bad on boxing. I thought reporting it to the police was a joke. The fallout has been crazy and I've never seen anything like it. The abuse Daniel, my fiancé, and my wee sister have had, it's crazy. It doesn't bother me getting it, but when you see it affecting your family, it's tough. When you see them getting personal attacks about their appearance and threats of violence, it's really hard to take. In less than seven years as a professional fighter, Taylor has accomplished more than most do in an entire career, and so few would grudge his decision to delay his next competitive appearance until the tail end of the year. The small matter of his wedding in June is his next major date in the diary. His stag do last weekend was, he says, a welcome chance to let his hair down although the recovery was even tougher than it has been for some of his fights, and his planned honeymoon means his next appearance is likely to be several months away. He says, I was away in Aberfeldy with some mates I hadn't seen for a while for my stag. I've been ticking over the last couple of weeks, but I've not been back training this week, as I'm still slightly hungover and tired. It's a bit of time to live my life a little bit and focus on some normal things. I've not put on too much weight though, unlike the last time when I put on too much, I was walking around with a belly. But I think that was because I came back from Vegas and the media attention meant I was here, there and everywhere. I ended up taking almost three months off. Now I've got the wedding, then the honeymoon, and I want to give myself time to get ready for a fight. 
Taylor's victory over Catterall was far from convincing from a fighter who had been almost flawless in his 18 previous professional victories. And he admits that although he remains disappointed in himself about his performance that night, he is unequivocal in his belief that he won the bout and deserved to retain his unbeaten record. He says, It was my poorest performance since the 2014 Commonwealth Games. I've been going up and up and I think I had a little bit of a lack of motivation for the fight because I had other goals and other things I wanted to do. But to be champion, it has to be convincing, and it wasn't. He should have had two or three points taken off him, never mind one point. He had me in headlocks, pulling my legs like it was the UFC. I thought I was in a wrestling match at times. If it had been the other way around, and I had been the challenger, nothing would have been said. I think the backlash was because it was such a high-profile fight for all the belts and that had never been done before in the UK. Also, he did better than anyone expected, so fair play to Jack. He did really well, but I don't think he won. While there is much discussion to take place before Taylor locks in any plans about future outings, no less which weight division it will be in. One thing he is sure of is he would like to have more bouts on home soil as well as return to America where he unified the division last year. He said, I'd like to fight in Scotland again and then in America again and take a travelling support with me which I never got to do last time which was a big kick in the teeth. I'll speak to everyone about it, but then I'll make the final decision about what happens. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Evening Time Sport, April 7. Grand National 2022. Warning over work sweepstakes that could be illegal. Report by Karen Doody. Millions across the United Kingdom participate in office sweepstakes across the country every year in April when the Grand National comes around. But those who work from home are being warned over a little-known quirk of gambling law, which means if due to the pandemic entrants are working from home or remotely, the contest is illegal. Gambling regulation experts Popleston Allen are on hand to talk through how to organise a sweepstake while staying on the right side of the law. The law firm is sharing a warning with workers as the entry race pulls in casual punters every year, with 2022 looking to be no different and one of the most likely events for an office sweepstake. In pre-COVID times, there was little risk involved in such a contest other than perhaps an excess of workplace rivalry, especially given the event's propensity for surprises and upsets. However, Richard Bradley, Associated Solicitor 
and gambling regulations expert at Popleston Allen said, while formal gambling activity is heavily regulated by the Gambling Commission, there is an exception designed to allow the general public to have a bit of fun by taking part in what is officially called a work lottery. But he added, what many people may not realise is that the rules are very clear in that you can only sell physical tickets and all players must work in the same office. Contests running across different office locations of the same company are not allowed. Therefore, if the pandemic has led to staff working from other offices or largely working from home, extra care needs to be taken when running a Grand National Sweepstake. Organisers, whether employers or employees, must make sure they do not sell any tickets via email or over the phone. Any staff member who wants to play must visit the office and buy a physical ticket. If these rules are not followed, organisers and players would technically be involved in illegal gambling. Report by Kieran Doody Evening Times Sport April 8 Celtic owner Dermot Desmond insists he has no intentions to sell shareholding. Celtic owner Dermot Desmond has revealed that he will not sell up, no matter how big a bid is made for the club. The Irish billionaire is the club's majority shareholder and has been heavily involved with the club for 27 years. Desmond insists that he's never been approached with an offer from potential future investors in Celtic and he insists he has no intentions of leaving his position as the club's power broker. He told Celtic TV I am very glad to do so to address this speculation. Nobody's ever approached me about buying or selling shares. Nobody. And that's in the last 27 years or so. I have no intention of selling shares. Not now. Not in the future. Even if somebody offers me a price three or four times the current share price, I'm not selling. Fortunately, I have been privileged and honoured to be a shareholder of a club I have supported as a youth and I have been a fan for well over 50 years. Therefore, I will continue to be a fan and shareholder of the club and hopefully contribute to the continuous development of the club. In a wide-ranging rare interview, Desmond then spoke about last season's failed 10 in a row bid and the criticism that came his way as a result. He added, As a club, we are continuing to learn and want to improve every aspect of the club. Our facilities, our infrastructure, our personnel, that's a given every year. If we look back and analyse last year, let's look at the facts. The first thing we wanted to do was retain all our squad to win 10 in a row. That we did. We wanted to retain the players we had on loan, Mohamed Elonusi and Fraser Foster from Southampton. We had reached terms with Southampton that both could come. Both players wanted to come, and those deals were being consummated. 
Unfortunately, at the last minute, Fraser Foster decided to stay at Southampton. But, in the interim, we'd let Craig Gordon go. That was the start of a little bit of challenges we faced from the previous year. We were in need of getting a goalkeeper to replace both Forster and Gordon. That was one of the challenges we faced. We recruited other players so that in every position we had cover. We added Shane Duffy as cover for centre-back and we did that throughout the whole squad. Now, there were mistakes made, I grant you. As far as maybe selection, there were mistakes made that were COVID-related. There were mistakes made with players going on trips. But it wasn't for the lack of having the squad. It wasn't the lack of dedicated manager and coaches to resolve the issues. You may say we should have got rid of the manager earlier on. The manager was an outstanding player for Celtic that won the league in his own right in his first period as manager of Celtic. He had basically won two trebles, if you want to call it a treble, and two thirds. Everybody endorsed the view Celtic were favourites to win the league. All the pundits, the paper commentators and indeed the betting companies, they had us odds-on favourites. We were well geared for ten in a row. Unfortunately, it did not happen. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Time Sport April 8 Hearts star Barry Mackay Pen's new three-year contract. Report by Ewan Payton. Barry Mackay has signed a new three-year deal with Hearts. The Tynecastle club this morning announced that the former Rangers winger has committed his future to them until the summer of 2025. The 27-year-old has consistently been a top performer under Robbie Nielsen this term with his dazzling displays earning him fans' favourite status. He has nine assists to his name so far, along with two goals. And with Hearts nailed on to finish third this season, and with the Scottish Cup still to play for, Mackay will be staying beyond this campaign. He said, I am delighted. Since I came in, it's been a place I've really been able to enjoy my football, so it was an easy decision. I've enjoyed playing with the boys. We've got a really good squad. Obviously, quite a lot of the boys have signed up as well, so it's quite an exciting time to be a part of it. We've done well this season. The performances have been there, and it's not been luck that we are where we are. We want to keep pushing on for the rest of the season. Manager Nielsen added, I'm really pleased to get this deal done. It's a real boost for everyone to have him commit his future to the club. I knew what we were getting in him when he joined us, and he hasn't disappointed. He seems to get better and better as the weeks go on, so to have him happy, settled, and enjoying his football is brilliant. I am excited to see where he can take his game to, and I'm just happy that he'll be doing it in a maroon shirt. Sporting director Joe Savage added, I think it's a real statement of intent from all parties that Barry has signed a long-term deal with the club. 
We want to keep our best players and challenge at the highest level possible. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport April 8 Giacomakis promises best is yet to come as he reflects on Celtic journey. Report by Graeme McGarry Earlier this season, when Celtic were facing up to the League Cup final, manager Ange Postecoglou felt compelled to take a risk on the fitness of Kyogo. It paid off handsomely on the day, but cost Celtic in the long run, as their star striker pulled up with an aggravation of a hamstring injury in the next match at St Johnston. Fast forward to April, and Celtic faced up to a trip at Ibrox to take on Rangers in a pivotal match to decide the destination of the Premiership title. Again, just as Kyogo had returned to full training and was busting a gut to make another sensational return to action ahead of schedule. This time though, Postecoglou had the luxury of playing it safe with his Japanese talisman, holding him back for a likely run out against St Johnston tomorrow. The reason? He now has a man he can trust to fill the breach up front, even on the biggest of occasions. Georgos Giacomakis has stepped up to the plate in Kyogo's absence and then some, culminating in the Greek forward being named the Singe Premiership Player for the Month for March. It was a fitting reward for a spell during which he hit five goals in two games and showed the Celtic support just what he was capable of after a slow start to life in Glasgow. Through a mixture of injury and Covid, Giacomakis was unable to get up to speed in the early part of the season, but with those days firmly behind him, the 27-year-old is looking forward to finishing his first season in Scotland strongly. Kyogo, it seems, might even have a fight on his hands just to get into the team. Giacomakis said, The award is a really good thing to get. I feel good about my football at the moment. The second half of the season has been really good for me. I'm healthy and strong and I've tried to give my best on the field. I've scored some goals, 11 so far in the second part of the season, and I'm looking forward to the goals which will follow. It was a really frustrating time for me in the first half of the season. It was really difficult because I was trying to settle here and adjust to a new environment. I was looking forward to coming here and playing my first games, but it was harder than I thought. I had an injury and also COVID, so I was sick a couple of times, so it was difficult for me to get fit and strong and help my teammates. It was a really difficult time, but it's made me even more of an egoist. My ego is now even better and bigger. I worked even harder. That's why I'm really strong right now. Not lacking in self-belief then either, as was evidenced 
by his strong words on Celtic's title credentials back in February. Proclamations that he no doubt is feeling a little smugly vindicated in putting forward right about now. His confidence, though, he insists, shouldn't be mistaken for arrogance, and certainly not for complacency, with Giacomakis pointedly stressing that there isn't any counting of chickens going on inside Celtic just yet. He said, We know that the league is not over yet. We need to win every single game. That's our target. The target of the team is not just to win the league, it's to win every single battle from now on until the end. This is our job, to focus on the next game, no matter what the last game we played was and how big the win was. We always have to focus on the next game and that's what we are doing now. From day one we only had to focus on us and what we will do. We have to win every single game and focus on our game and nothing else. Of course it's quite a strong position, but as I've said before, it's not over. We have to be focused in every single game as there are more games to come until the end. We have to win every single one. Maybe we have a small advantage, but it's only that, nothing else. We have to protect this and keep winning in every game. The upturn in the form and fortunes of Giacomakis begs the question of what he could have achieved this term with a strong pre-season behind him. With his sights set next campaign on bettering the 29-goal haul for VVV Benlo last season that persuaded Celtic to sign him in the first place. He said, I hope I can. If I'm healthy, I can do many things. I don't know about numbers, but my focus and my target will be the same. Whenever I am strong, healthy and fit, like just now, my target is to score and help my teammates in every single game. I think I'm in the best period of my career. This is the best age. I hope from now on I will keep scoring a lot of goals for Celtic. I will give my best for them and I hope to have some successful seasons by winning some trophies. I'm very optimistic. Nobody who has heard him speak would ever doubt that, says Graham McGarry. Evening Times Sport, April 8th. Mixed bag for Tiger Woods as he makes remarkable return to action at Masters. Report by Nick Roger. The Augusta National Top Brass can control many things, but they cannot control the weather. When you've waited 508 days for Tiger Woods to play a competitive round, what's a 30 minute delay at the Masters? It all added to the theatre, the overnight deluge which shunted Tiger's tea time back half an hour to 11.04am on the Georgia clock had the eagle-eyed observers frantically salivating that the golfing gods were on Wood's side. His first round in 2019, 
the year he won his fifth green jacket against all the odds, began at exactly the same time. In the general hysteria generated by this latest and greatest comeback, folk were clinging stubbornly to every omen like barnacles in a rock pool. By the time he was introduced to the 86th staging of the Masters, the sea of humanity that surrounded him on the other side of the ropes had been holding their breasts for so long they just about needed a snorkel to get through his backswing. In the end, a one under 71 was, by any measure, a remarkable effort. Some 14 months ago, Wood was lying in a hospital bed, his legs mangled and his golf career seemingly to an end. The 46-year-old, with a creaking, groaning body that's held together by various pins, rods, joists, guy ropes and stanchions, outscored one of his playing partners, Louis Oosthausen, by five shots. In the period since Woods last played in a full tour event, the 2020 Masters, Oosthausen had posted four top three finishes in the majors. It was a Herculean effort. Said Woods in the aftermath, I'm proud, proud for my whole team. You have no idea how hard we have worked. There were no days off. There's been lots of treatment, hopping in ice baths, shivering, suffering. It's awful, but it allows me to recover. My team has got me ready to have this opportunity. I said, get me to the point. I know how to play the course. Get me to this point and I'll take it from there. He certainly did with a mixture of magic, frustration and the kind of rustiness you'd get on the wheel arch of an old British Leyland, Woods conjured a captivating round. Three birdies and two bogeys left him lurking just three behind the early clubhouse leader and players championship winner Cameron Smith, who began his round with a double bogey, flung eight birdies into the mix after that and ended it with another double bogey on the 18th. The Aussie may not have given a Castlemaine 4x for what Woods was doing, but just about everybody else in Georgia and beyond was transfixed. Woods ambled gently through the opening few holes at a stately pace, but he upped the ante on the fifth with a birdie putt which lipped he was walking it in with a trademark swagger too until it refused to drop at the last minute. He had his moment on the very next hole though. A superb tee shot to a couple of feet whipped the patrons into a shrieking, hollering frenzy as he ensured a tapping birdie. Amid the majesty, there were mishaps. A pool drive on nine into the trees and an approach which rolled off the green. The magic would return amid the cursing. A brilliant birdie putt of 30 feet on the 16th got him back into the red and he mounted a fine salvage operation on the last to save par after his drive struck a tree and left him with 270 yards to the pin.
It had been quite the day, said Woods. I did not have a very good warm-up at all, but as the round built, I was able to get into the red. I am right where I need to be. There is a long way to go. It is a marathon, but it is nice to get off to a positive start. Former champion Danny Willett was a shot off the lead after an opening 69, with defending champion Hideki Matsuyama carding a 72. Smith, who has been in fine form and underlined his credentials with that victory at Sawgrass, made another statement of significant intent as he set about his push for a maiden major. It wasn't quite the joy of six with those two double bogeys which bookended his card, but a 68 set a sturdy standard. Oban's Robert McIntyre had put in a spirited showing and back-to-back -back birdies late on had him at level par coming to the end of his round. Poor old Sandy Lyle, though, muddled through to an 82. It wasn't a day to remember for one past Masters champion. It was for the returning Woods, though, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, April 8. Kieran Tierney provides fans with knee surgery update. Report by Ewan Payton. Former Celtic star Kieran Tierney has provided an update to his fans after undergoing knee surgery yesterday. The Arsenal star required an operation for an injury which he picked up while on international duty with Scotland a fortnight ago. As a result, the left-back will be out for the remainder of the season. This automatically put all Scotland supporters on red alert, with the World Cup playoff matches coming up in June against Ukraine and potentially Wales. But Tierney has provided supporters with reason to be optimistic about his recovery with his latest social media activity. He thanked fans for their messages of support on his Instagram story, posting a picture of him on the hospital bed, recovering from the operation. He said, Operation went well. Thanks so much for all the messages of support. Really appreciate it. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, April 8 Van Bronckhorst assesses Rangers qualification hopes after Braga loss Report by Chris Jack Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is confident Rangers have the quality to bounce back against Braga and book a Europa League semi-final spot the champions suffered a 1-0 defeat last night as Abel Ruiz netted the only goal of a competitive but low-quality encounter. Rangers created few clear-cut chances and will have to raise their game if they are to set up a meeting with RB Leipzig or Atalanta in the last four. But Van Bronckhurst reckons his side are more than capable of turning the tie around as he banked on the Ibrox factor playing a key part second time out. 
Van Bronckhorst said, Of course, we're only halfway. We always want a good result to take back to the second game. That's what we wanted. But, you know, a one nothing defeat is quite a small margin. We're only halfway, so next week we have a big game. We know what's ahead of us and we will prepare well. The performance at times was good. We created some chances, but you all saw the quality they have. It's a quarter final, so you're going to face an opponent who is also strong. But we're coming back with one goal difference. It could have been better, but it could also have been worse. We've got a much better view of their team, so we're going to prepare well for next week. I mean we have to show next week we know what the task is. It is the final game of this tie, and I know at home, with the crowd behind us as always, that we can give a good performance. We lost 2-1 against Red Star away, but in the home game we made the difference. We have to do the same now again. Report by Chris Jack Evening Time Sport, April 11 Former Rangers and Kilmarnock, Dean Shields, irate referee rant. Report by Ewan Payton. Former Rangers and Kilmarnock star Dean Shields lost the rag with a referee at the weekend. The former Hibs player is now manager of Dungannon Swifts in Northern Ireland. They were defeated 1-0 by Carrick Rangers in the NIFL Premiership playoff on Saturday. And while the result would have been the biggest disappointment of the day for the 37-year-old, Shields was left fuming by a foul on the halfway line which he felt was worth a sending off, as he saw the incident very differently to his opposition in the dugout. Footage has emerged of Shields' blast at the matchday officials as he appeared to channel the same sort of energy that Scottish football had seen with his dad Kenny some 10 years ago. The clip starts by showing a late challenge from one of the Carrick Rangers forwards on the Dungannon centre half. The tackle appeared to be nothing serious, with both players looking fine once the whistle had gone for a foul. But Swift's boss Shields viewed the incident completely differently as a touchline camera caught him giving his views to the fourth official. The former attacking midfielder then went on a hilarious rant at the man in the middle as he bellowed that the Carrick player was bluffing to avoid a red card. Immediately after the foul, Shields could be heard screaming for it. The next clip shows him saying to the fourth official, Hi ref, hi. He's just kicked him right in the head. He's kicked him right in the head. Murmurs of discontent could then be heard growing in the opposing bench. Shouts of, he didn't mean that, Dean, were audible. A member of Carrick's management team was then seen to attempt to calm Shields down. He jumped in, Dean, Dean. He didn't kick him in the head. Wise up, son. Shields could then be heard saying, Ref, you know it. Then back on camera he added, 
He's bluffing. He's bluffing the big man. He didn't kick him in the head was the retort from several of the current backroom team. Shields again said he kicked him, maybe in the neck. Ref, ref, you know it's him. He's already booked and he's bluffing. It's at least a yellow, maybe a red. Shields is falling in his dad's footsteps by taking to the touchline as a manager. Kenny Shields, of course, had a successful spell in Scottish football with Kilmarnock. The Northern Irishman guided the Ayrshire side to the League Cup in 2012 as they defeated Celtic 1-0 in the final at Hamden, in which Dean played in. Shields Sr. is currently the manager of Northern Ireland's women's team. Dean retired from playing in 2019 after a short spell with Coleraine. He has helped his dad out with the Northern Ireland women's side by working as assistant under him. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, April 11. The Monday kickoff. Ben Doak's Celtic to Liverpool switch raises player pathway issue yet again, says James Morgan. A recurring theme for the kids at Celtic and Rangers. The thorny issue of player pathways at Scotland's biggest clubs raised its head again last week when Ben Doak left Celtic for Liverpool. In doing so, the 16-year-old became the latest talented youngster to leave Lennox Town for one of Europe's biggest clubs, following in the footsteps of Liam Morrison and Barry Hepburn, who joined Bayern Munich 2019 and 2020, and Josh Adam, who left for Manchester City in August 2020. Speak to parents of boys at Celtic, and they will say a similar thing. The pathway at the club is compromised by the pressure to win matches. One only needs to look at the current dynamic of the regular Celtic first team squad, which includes just five. Six, if we include the now departed Adam Montgomery, players who have come through the academy as the club attempts to wrest back the title from Rangers. Of that number, only one, Callum McGregor, could be considered a cast-iron regular. But at least Celtic are utilising their youth system to a greater capacity. Across the city, it's virtually redundant. Alex Lowry provided a ray, ray of hope for those in the academy at Auchenhowie, only for it to be snuffed out after a couple of premiership matches in which the 18-year-old attacker did not set the world on fire, having shone against Stirling Albion in the Scottish Cup. It's a similar story for defender Leon King, who, despite impressing in the Lowland League with Rangers' Colts side, had just two appearances to his name for the first team. Speaking to the former Rangers youngster Andy Dallas last week, he said, the clubs will say, if they are good enough they'll play, which is always the classic shout, but when there are jobs on the line it is much harder to put those players in. I was close to making my debut 
but I'd only really played a handful of first-team games and got that exposure. I know they are in the Lowland League, but is that really going to prepare them for the likes of Braga, etc? Then you look at teams in Holland, the likes of Ajax, or in Spain, Barca B. They have their team playing in the second division, producing a better standard of player that is more capable of putting on a proper fight for the jersey. Doak, no doubt, will believe he has a better chance of making it as a professional at the top level, having signed for Liverpool. It's a thought process that is impossible to argue with. Top 6 Nonsense And so the top 6 split has come and gone. This end of season ritual has never really made much sense to this columnist. In theory it was devised to make games during the run-in more exciting as the campaign came to its end. But in practice that has rarely been the case. Never more so has that scenario been true than during this season. Let's not take anything away from Dundee United, Ross County and Motherwell for securing their places in the top six on Saturday. But there is something undoubtedly ludicrous about a denouement to the season in which at least four clubs beneath them could all finish with a higher points tally. There will, of course, still be a relegation issue to resolve and the battle for the European places, but the split was introduced to increase excitement as the season thundered into the final weeks, not, as has happened in this case, extinguish a fair degree of it. Tierney's absence has scuttled Arsenal. It must be hoped that Kieran Tierney's knee injury does not have the same effect on Scotland's World Cup playoff aspirations as it has done on Arsenal's bid for a Champions League place. The influential Scotland defender has missed Arsenal's last two games, which have both resulted in shock defeats at the hands of Crystal Palace and Brighton and Hove Albion, at a cost of five goals and their place in the top four in the process. Mikel Arteta's side had built a reputation this season for being mean in defence, but suddenly their goal difference is shot without their best defender and with inadequate reinforcements available to cope with the loss of the former Celtic man. The latest sticking plaster fix saw Granit Xhaka replacing Tierney in the 2-1 defeat by Brighton a scenario which in turn left the Gunners looking particularly porous through their midfield. A noble farewell for Willie Cohen. About five minutes before the off, in Saturday's Grand National, ITV's Alice Plunkett interviewed Sam Willie Cohen as he prepared to take the mount on Noble Yates for his last ever race as a national hunt jockey. The 40-year-old amateur, an alumnus of Edinburgh University, said it would be the biggest win of his career, or words to that effect, which was a pretty significant claim given that he was a Gold Cup winner 
on long run in 2011. Sitting astride the 50 to 1 shot, it sounded like one of those banal statements all jockeys about to take on Intree's marathon test make right before they become a cropper at the first fence. All credit then to Whaley Cohen for backing words with deeds by going out in style, even if he did manage to beat my own selections into 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th place respectively. The NFL is a different country. There have been recent comparisons to a slave trading mentality in American football. They were made last month when David Ojabo collapsed at his Michigan Pro Day and had to help himself from the field with a snapped Achilles. The video of the moment he sustained his injury made it onto social media and drew the ire of black NFL analyst Bucky Brooks who said, I know the NFL is a cold business, but watching the lack of concern or empathy from the scouts, coaches and observers following David Ojabo's injury bugs me. The death of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins, who was killed after being struck by a car while out jogging on Saturday, seem to back up the idea that NFL players are treated like pieces of meat. Consider the response delivered by former Vice President of Player Personnel for the Dallas Cowboys, Gil Brandt, who asked for his opinion on the 24-year-old Haskins and said, He was a guy that was living to be dead. It was always something with Haskins. Maybe he stayed in school a year, he wouldn't do silly things like jogging on a highway. In the NFL, the attitude of the cotton mill owner still pervades. 3. The number of wins recorded by Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa in the last 10 matches. Saturday's defeat by Tottenham was their fourth in a row while brief previous manager Dean Smith was sacked in the autumn to make way for Gerrard after five successive defeats across October and November. The former Rangers manager's less than sterling league record in that time reads 1-8, drawn 2, lost 10. Report by James Morgan Evening Times Sport, April 11. Scotland versus Ukraine date to be set this week. Report by Ewan Payton. Scotland will find out the date for the World Cup playoff semi-final against Ukraine in the coming days. UEFA will make a final decision on the crucial playoff match this week. Steve Clark's side were due to face Ukraine in March at Hamden. However, due to Russia's invasion of the country, the match was understandably postponed. Now, according to the Daily Mail, a rescheduled date will be announced in the next few days. They say that SFA Chief Executive Ian Maxwell will fly out to Switzerland for talks with European football's governing body. It is said that the two options on days the game could be played 
are Tuesday, May 31 and Wednesday, June 1. Scotland captain Andy Robertson could potentially be involved in a Champions League final with Liverpool, a matter of days before this. The English Championship playoffs also take place on the weekend before these proposed dates. They could involve any number of Scotland players, from Bournemouth's Ryan Christie and Nottingham Forest's Scott McKenna. The winners of the playoff semi will then face Wales in Cardiff on Sunday, June 5, for a place at the Qatar 2022 World Cup. With Scotland also in Nations League action that month, it could potentially mean that the Scots end up playing as many as six games in June. And with Ukraine in the same Nations League group, UEFA are reportedly considering effectively doubling up both the playoff fixture and the Nations League tie between the two countries. It is thought that the SFA are very much against that idea though. The Nations League clash with Ukraine was originally slated for June 7, three days after the opening fixture against Armenia at Hamden. The other games planned for June are against the Republic of Ireland on June 11 and away to Armenia on June 14. Report by Ewan Payton. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.